You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. From Theory to Practice, Applying Objectivism to the Pursuit of Happiness, by Tal Svani. So, um, who did not read The Fountainhead? Just be honest. Okay. Go read The Fountainhead. Okay? I'm going to read uh, two quotes from The Fountainhead to start with. Uh, the first one is, Howard Rourke going to meet the dean of the Stanton uh, Institute of Technology after he was expelled. Okay? So the dean smiled and leaned forward confidently, enjoying the overture to a good deed. Here's the real purpose of our interview. I was anxious to let you know as soon as possible. I did not wish to leave you disheartened. Oh, I did personally take a chance with the president's temper when I mentioned uh, this to him, but mind you, he did not commit himself. But here is how things stand. Um, how, th how things stand now. Now that you realize how serious it is, if you take a year off to rest or think it over, shall we say, to grow up, there might be a chance of us taking you back. Mind you, I cannot promise anything. This is strictly unofficial. It would be most unusual, but in, in view of the circumstances and the brilliant record, your brilliant record, there might be a very good chance. Rourke smiled. It was not a happy smile. It was not a grateful one. It was a simple, easy smile, and it was amused. I don't think you understand me, said Rourke. What made you suppose that I want to come back? Eh? I won't be back. I have nothing further to learn here. I don't understand you, said the dean stiffly. Is there any point in explaining? It's of no interest to you any longer. That's the first scene. Second one I want to read to you is when uh, Keating is asking Rourke about uh, taking the, the uh, scholarship, the, the Beaux-Arts scholarship, or simply starting to uh, Practice, practice architecture. If you want my advice, Peter, he said at last, you, you've already made a mistake. Sorry, you've made a mistake already by asking me, by asking anyone. Never ask people, not about your work. Don't you know what you want? How can you stand it not to know? You see, that's what I admire about you, Howard. You always know. Drop the compliments. But I mean it. How do you always manage to decide? How can you let others decide for you? That's Howard Work. Okay, who did not read Atlas Shrugged? Truly. Okay. Same people. Really? Oh, okay, okay. Everyone, go read Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> I'm going to give you uh, two things about another character called Dagny Tagger. She was 12 years old when she told Eddie Willers that she would run the railroad when she grew up. She was 15 when it occurred to her for the first time that women did not run railroads and that people might object. To hell with that, she thought, and never worried about it again. Interesting. And the last thing I want to read to you is a discussion she had with her, uh, with her uh, brother, Jim Taggart, who was the CEO of the, of the railroad. And she comes to tell him what's going to happen. And this is how she puts it. I'll tell you what we're going to do. This is not a proposal, Jim. It's an ultimatum. Just listen to and accept. 
I'm going to complete the construction of the Rio Norte line. I personally, not Tiger Transcontinental, I will take a leave of absence from the job of vice president. I will form a company in my own name. Your board will turn the Rio Norte line over to me. I will act as my own contractor. I will get my own financing. I will take full charge of the and sole responsibility. I will complete the line on, on time. And after you have seen how Reardon Metal Rails can take it, I will transfer the line back to Tackert Inter Intercontinental and I'll run it and I'll return to my job. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I read those uh, characters, I was astonished. I mean, who talks like that? Who thinks like that? Who has, who has the tenacity to say, what you think it doesn't matter, what I think matters, and you're going to do what I tell you to do, and the world is going to align with what I want. That's my expectation. So um, again, if you haven't read those books, go read those books. My response was like, what? That's the, that's the, the best uh, <laughs> picture I could find to a confused face. But then I uh, said uh, an adult one, and I got Nikos. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I really, I was confused because it did not align with the way I was thinking about life. There was something in me that it, 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 it triggered, like this is how it should be, but I was not like that. And it started the journey in me to really find uh, this spark. I felt there is a spark that I have in me that it ignited. And I wanted to get to the bottom of what it is. So this type of determination, this kind of, of knowledge of what you want, being so sure and uh, demanding is uh, the kind of determination that those characters projected is something I wanted more of for myself. Why don't we have it? Why don't you all have it? Why don't you all know exactly what you want? Why don't you have this approach and uh, to life where you say, I want it, I'm going to get it. Okay, it's just about, it's just a matter of time, uh, you know, how long it's going to take it. And I'm willing to endure whatever comes until I get it. Why don't we have that mentality? Rand talks a lot about how this spark that I talked about is being basically put down by our culture, our educational system. And I want to give you a couple of lies that you've been told. There are many more. But I wanted to highlight the, the ones that really matter. The first one is like, life is not like that. This is fiction. Those are characters. This is not you. Drop it. So I want to read you uh, something about what she says about childhood heroes. So I don't know which were your childhood heroes. Uh, but you know, I don't know if it was Spider-Man or Ninja Turtles or Power Rangers or you know, mine was Steve Austin and Ben Barely Alive, Six Million Dollar Man. That was very famous when I was. Or Imagination by Bob's, you know, SpongeBob. Um, there's something very important about those. And I want to read to you what she's saying in Art and Moral Treason about this. Every form of punishment, from outright prohibition to threats to, threats, to anger to condemnation to crass indifference to mockery, is unleashed and gets a child at the first signs of his romanticism, which means at the first signs of his emerging sense of moral value. Life is not like that, and come down to earth are the catchphrases which best summarizes the mo motives of the attackers. 
as well as the view of life and of this earth which they seek to inculcate. This is how we put down this curiosity and love of heroes with kids that is then killing that spark. The second lie is you're not special. There's nothing special about you. Think about the fact that every individual sitting next to you is the only individual that will ever look like that individual, will dress like that, will think like that, will get passionate about things the way you are. You're a world by, your, by itself. There's a saying in Hebrew, every man is the whole universe, or a universe by, by himself, a universe of complexity. And it's, it's such an amazing thing. And yet we put the, the kid who loves poetry or love MMA fighting in the same exact room, expecting them to learn the same exact things and be interested in the same exact things. Think about what it does to a kid. You're not special. What you love is not special. Here's what she says about that in, the, in that essay from, from the Anti-Industrial Revolution. If you want to see hatred, do not look at wars or concentration camps. These are merely its consequences. Look at the writing of Kant, Dewey, Marcuse, and their followers to see pure hatred, hatred of reason and of everything it implies, of intelligence, of ability, of achievement, of success, of self-confidence, of self-esteem, of every bright, happy, benevolent aspect of man. This is the atmosphere, the leitmotif of the sense of life uh, permeating today's educational establishment. This is how you kill the spark. Last one is you have a track to follow. We set a track for you. There are rules to life. You follow them. I don't know about you. From the day I was born, I was told what to do, what to do next. I was never given a real option of what do you want? How should uh, and tomorrow look like if it was up to you? Right? So another uh, quote. The symptoms, symptoms of today's cultural disease are conformity with nothing to conform to. Timidity expressed in a self-shrinking concern with trivia, a kind of uh, obsequious anxiety to please the unknown standards of some non-existent authority, and the pall of fear without object. Psychologically, this is the culture, cultural atmosphere of a society living under censorship. This is very powerful. Another one, and the last one I'll, I'll do, is don't follow your passion. This dichotomy of like, should I go for money, prestige, what I love? You know, I, I hear a lot of that in my uh, kind of mentor session. There was a lot about that. An ambitious, um, ambitious child is incoherently determined to make something important of himself and his life. So when he hears such threats as, well, wait till you grow up, or you'll never get anywhere with those childish notions. It is his virtues that are turned against him, his intelligence, his ambition, and whatever respect he might feel for the knowledge and judgment of his elders. Thus, the foundation of a lethal dichotomy is laid in his consciousness, the practical versus the moral, with the unstated preconceptual implication that practicality requires the betrayal of one's values, the renunciation of ideas. If I haven't proven to you that there's a whole culture trying to kill your spark, uh, I don't know what else will convince you. 
but everything is working against you as a kid. So the same as a lot of 20-year-olds here, I had big dreams for myself. I wanted, to con I wanted to conquer the world, but I didn't have the spark in me. So I started, when it was time to make a decision, I just started walking in a path like everybody else. So I took engineering. I didn't think much about what it is that I loved. I put aside all of my inclinations for poetry, for writing, for plays, for being on stages. It's like, yeah, that's what how the six, eight, ten-year-old loved, but, eh, you know, come on. Racing, cars, who thinks about that? Get serious. Go study engineering. It was the best way to make money. And there's a concept that I really loved from a book I recently wrote called Disastrous Successes, which is exactly what happened to me. I'm pretty intelligent. You give me anything to do, I'll be okay with it. I won't suck at it because I'm pretty smart. And that even conflates the problem because I'm a good engineer. So in a way, it's like, yeah, I've chosen the right thing. No, I didn't. So if you ask me again, and I said that, if you ask me how my life was at 30, at 35, it's like, it's okay. It's really good. You know, I'm making money. I have my own house. I got a car, three kids. Great. Things are awesome. But if we really opened up and you asked me, are you living the life you want to live? Is it, the, is it the best life you can live? I would admit it's not. So then I, made, I met Rand Heroes. And what Rand Heroes gave me is rekindling that spark. And that's what I wish for each and every one of you, to rekindle a spark or to flame that flame that is already burning in, into you towards the best life you can. And for me, it was a, a conscious decision. Once I finished the fountainhead, it was like, my life is not going to be the same again. I'm changing my life and the direction I'm going. I'm going to fight everything that I was taught to know, and I'm going to start carving my own path. So I saw a potential in me that I didn't see before after reading Rand. And uh, I will start from the end, because now I'm going to give you some advice. And you should ask yourself, because there are a thousand self-help gurus out there that will tell you to do this and do that, and create your own company, don't work for everyone, and wake up every day and uh, do this for five minutes, and don't eat that, and so on. You should ask yourself why, right? Now, I want to start from the end. I want to give you the end result of what I'm suggesting you will do to get there. I want to tell you how happiness feels to me, right? So we have this vague uh, concept called happiness. I want to concretize it for you. So if you want some of that, listen to what I have to say, because I'm experiencing it. So what does happiness feel like to me? So there's high-level themes. The first one is, I'm good at living. I wake up every day, and I tell myself, I know how to live. I've figured it out. I know the philosophy. I know the virtues. I know how to practice it. I'm principled. I'm consistent. I know how to figure out what I want. I know how to talk to myself, my subconscious. I know how to evaluate my emotional responses to things. I'm pretty good at that, and I know how to get things. The second high level is what I want is the most important thing in the world. Don't mess with my wants. Because what I want is the most sacred thing in the world. And I wake up every day working towards what I want. And that is, that, that is something I took a lot from Howard Work. I mean, when, the way he talks, the way he responds to things, it's, that is the mentality I want. 
Think about it as Steve Jobs, right? That is the mentality of someone who knows what he wants and thinks it's the most important thing in the world. And another thing which is very important to me is nothing can really hurt me. People live in a constant anxiety of like, I won't have this, and this will happen, and I'll be fired, or somebody will knock me, and a girlfriend will leave me, and all of those things. So what? Send me to work in a quarry, and I'll be okay. That is the result of the path that I'm recommending you take, to get to a point where nothing can really hurt you. Of course, people hurt you in many different ways, but not your core. Now, to be more nuanced, I can give you some more, more uh, idea. I know myself. I know what I love. I know what I want, and I know why I want it. I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of my journey. Nobody else tells me what to do. I'm value-oriented. I'm seeking values in life. I want the good things in life, and I'm very action-oriented. I go out and I get it. I just don't just sit on, in my sofa in front of the TV and dreaming about things. I'm going out and getting it. And I'm good in pursuing them. I get things done. Whenever I want something, I usually get it. Maybe not exactly the way I wanted it because of constraints, but most of the time I get what I want. I'm virtuous and principled. I don't lie. I don't stray away from the core principles that I've laid for myself. So I don't cheat. I'm motivated. I'm focused and I have the sense of urgency. Time is passing. I'm 51. I'm going to be old in, I don't know, 30 years, 35 years. I want things now. I'm not waiting for the next five years. No, I want them now, as early as possible. And the last thing is I have no problem showing you this slide. I'm really proud of myself. That's another thing. But I'm not shy. So if you want a little bit of that, I <laughs> urge you to make some experiments. Some of them will blow up in your face. I hope not too many. And, uh, but I've tried a lot of things. Some things completely didn't work. Some things worked brilliantly. And what I'm going to share with you is things that worked for me and the principles of me getting the things I want. So how do we get a spark? And so for me, it's all about your heroic journey. I think of my life as a heroic journey. It's going to end. It's going to has a beginning. I'm in the middle of it. It's going to have highs. It's going to have lows, unexpected twists and turns, and it's going to end one day. So what is your heroic journey? So I sat down to put everything in writing. I said, yeah, I, I, I achieved a lot in the last decade. I want to write about it. So I out, uh, Keith uh, taught me how to outline. So I sat down and I outlined my book. And while doing that, I was like, wow, there's a whole system here that I continue to do that I was not really uh, conscious of. What if I put it in a structure? And then after I put it in a structure, it's like, why don't I, why don't I try it before I write about a, a book about it? So we started the happiness team and uh, tried it on humans. Uh, like Nikos. Uh, it worked mostly, I have to say. So here's, here are the four principles or the four stages I have to recommend if you want to start a virtuous process of figuring out the things you love and getting it. I start in the same way that every scientist starts, with observation. Not with hypothesis, I love this and uh, they told me to do that, so I did that, or I'm a, I heard people say I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert, I'm all kinds of stories you tell yourself in your head about who you are and what you should be. What I want to start with is observing what you actually do. Not the stories you have convinced yourself are true, not the hypothesis, but the reality. What are you doing when you have the time? Uh, so the first question is starting from what do I value? And figuring out a set, a set of techniques to really bring out from your 
conscious mind and your subconscious mind, what are those things that my heart wants, that, you know, my mind wants, that resonates with me, that kind of really uh, strike a chord with me? And there's a whole world of uh, learning how to talk to yourself in order to value the things that are really hitting something. And then once you know what you value from all of those things, what do you really want? Because you can't achieve all the things you value in the world. What do you want? So we need to organize. We need to prioritize. And after the, you, know, you have a set of things that you know you want, what do you want now? What do you want to take action on? So this is the part where we're doing planning. We're trying to envision exactly what it is that we want, how life is going to look like when we get it, when are we going to get it, what are the obstacles of getting it, what are the milestones, and so on. So we make planning like we do in many other things in business. And then you go out and you do it. How do I get what I want? So there's a whole, and that's, you know, that's something we learn in business. How do you get things done? So I want to give you the highlights of those four, four stages or those four questions. Let's start with observation. Let's start with how do I know what I want? It starts with the questions of who are you? That's the first question I ask in my, uh, in my workshop. Who are you? So uh, you, you might know from smarter people than I am that knowing yourself or knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom, that it's really important to know yourself. Well, what does it mean? So if you ask me, Tal, who are you? And I gave you this answer, right? I'm 51. I work in education. I live in Atlanta. I was born in Israel. I have a wife, three kids, and this is how old they are. Do you know me? You know the demographics. You don't know me. But what if I said this? I'm a guy who loves abstract ideas, constantly seek deep philosophical truths, loves guiding people towards fulfillment and achievement, and is passionate about public speaking, writing, mu music, and individualistic competitive sports. Do you know me a little bit or not? Why? What did I tell you now that is me? Those are my values. So in a way, if you want to answer the question, who are you, don't say, this is my arm, this is my leg, this is, no. It's your values. What do you value? If I know your values, I know who you are. So that requires a lot of introspection. And Rand was, uh, was identifying that uh, most of us are not taught nor trained in the skill of introspection. What happened today? Why do I love what happened? What about this person really resonated with me? I'll tell you a short story that I told before. I'll make it short because it really makes the point of why this is so unbelievably important to identify what's going on. So I came back from a sales of a big, you know, I sold software to a German company. And I was so excited about this, this sale that was something really unique about it. And I went back home when I learned that we won it. And I was writing down, why am I so excited about this sale. And I said, of course, it's $700,000. How, you know, I, I'm, well, we're excited. It's a startup. I'm the only person, you know, that is responsible for selling those kind of, I did it. But that, that's not it. We sold 1.5 million to another company. I was not that excited. So it's not it. And then I realized, yeah, I did all of the process by myself. It was not a team effort like it usually is. It was not the CEO and me. It was just me. So it's me. No, 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 no. I sold many other uh, deals like that. What is unique about this sale that I get so excited about? And then it hit me. This company was a German company, asked us to come in 
as finalists with us and Microsoft and give 15 minutes of a talk, not a demo. They already saw the software, just the talk in front of the 15 salespeople because it was software for salespeople, why they should be working with our system and not the competitor. And I sat down and I wrote this funny uh, story about this miserable uh, salesperson who's using Microsoft and he stumbles out of bed and just he doesn't know what he's doing and he's going to the meeting and he's losing the meeting and he's, he knows what happened so he has to go back to the office and write everything that he already wrote in his notebook because there's no mobile app. And the happy, <laughs> delighted uh, uh, salesperson who's using our system, uh, cheerful and going and winning the deal and then with his mobile app he doesn't need to go and into the office, writes everything, life is beautiful. And I made them laugh and nod a lot about their pains that you know, software could, could solve. And I realized that the only different thing about this was me telling a story and standing on stage for 15 minutes. So uh, let me give you the, how important that is. I, when I was on the plane back from Germany to Atlanta, I was like, I love sales and I love software. After an hour of thinking, I was like, it's not sales, it's not software, it's telling stories. Just think about the implication of what that means, just with an hour introspection. And most of you, what you do is you glance over, it's like, yeah, I love that party, that was nice, that person was great, let's move on. What was great about it? Why? What about this experience was great? Learning those truths is a deep process that you have to go through. So I, I can't stress enough how much uh, introspection is important. Because what we're trying to identify is this response. This spark, you know, when we talk in the happiness team, I ask people, so what do you want? And you say, I want this and I want that. And then suddenly, the level of, of energy goes up and their eyes light up and they say something about something that happened before. What was it? Uh, I love backgammon, gammon, right? I give that. Uh, I love backgammon. There's something about backgammon that just is amazing. That's what you're looking for, like the level of energy. Why? Now you dive into, because this response is what happiness is made out of. That is what it means to value. So you can ask yourself things like, when I was a kid, what did you love? Or what do you still love since you were a kid and it's still with you? And when do you lose sense of time doing what? Because a lot of people are saying, I have no idea what I love. And uh, you can start. There are a lot of exercises. You can download all of it, by the way, in myhappiness.team. All of those workbooks that I'll show, uh, sorry, worksheets uh, with all those questions are there. So don't. About, about, about that. So th this is one of them. In order to practice your value or muscle, your introspective muscle, I would do something like this every day if you can or every week. Just sit down and name all the good things, either in your life or things that happened, and ask yourself, what was good about it? What, is, what do they mean to me? It sounds awkward, right? Like, what do you mean? Me sitting down writing all the good things in my life? Yes, do it. And you, if you really have the time and the energy to do it, Answer the third question. What does it say about me? Because this is where we're trying to extract some more, more deeper truths about yourself. And we'll see how we use that. Because what we're trying to do in the end of the day is to be value-oriented. What it will do, it will build that muscle that wakes up every day and looks for things to love. Where can I extract more happiness from? I don't know if you, you, you know what it means. It means that first, bad things are not important. To me, bad things, political situations, yeah, I know what's going on, but it's not the center of my life. My focus is to make myself happy. 
that's my, that's the only duty that I really have, to make myself happy before I die. So identifying the things that you respond to is what I'm trying to do. And the important, the, the interesting thing is it's not just the good things, it's the bad things that teach you about what you love because your re emotional responses that are negative teach you a lot about what it is that you don't like versus what you truly like. And some, um, like if you have a lot of anxiety about something, it's like, what am I trying to protect? Because anxiety is like fear of something being hurt. What is going to be hurt? What do I value so much that I feel those negative emotions? So there's a lot of work you can do about asking the negative question. I won't go into that. It's, but in the end of the day, at the end of that stage of observation and introspection, you got a list, and I got Amanda to allow me to share her mess, because it's a mess. There's like 50, 70, 150 things you love about life, all of the things. That, so uh, Amanda uh, volunteered to share. Um, there, it's, a, it's really a mess. You, you, you plot all of the things you love about life, and it's a big blob of many, many things. So this is what brings us to the next, next stage, which is, okay, I'm starting to see what I love about this life. What do I do about it? You put your uh, analysis hat on, and we're starting to organize it. So the first thing I would recommend is asking yourself, asking yourself what do I want, and start to organize this. This is the tool we created. Again, it's... Uh, a part of, of what we offer as part of the, of the happiness team. It's called a value galaxy. So what you do with all those, let's say, 50, 70 things, what I recommend is taking a, a wall in your house, a lot of sticky notes, and starting to write everything you love about life, and then start to organize it in some, some way that, of things that are connected to each other, being close to each other, and then doing the exercise, we don't, won't do it today, of trying to identify the common value themes of your themes. For instance, everything that has to do with philosophy, truth, and abstract ideas, so my love for objectivism, building strategic visions, working at ARI, all of that is connected to that. And all of my skills that are really uh, uh, value, all of them are connected. So I'm trying to connect values, which are the uh, brown, reddish uh, circles, connected to value themes, and see how it all connects. And what I found is that the more lines that are hitting a specific value, the more dense it is, the more valuable it is, because it has more value themes really being baked into one activity. So I can actually give you an example. I was uh, realized, okay, I love philosophy. I love uh, teaching and speaking. I love uh, business and strategy and managers, and I love racing. And I started playing with the idea of, like, how do I create high-density values? What if I did uh, a philosophy course or a happiness team on a racetrack with managers, teaching them how to, uh, you know, teaching them philosophy and, and principles of happiness, and then going out and teaching them how to race, and we'll come back and we'll have lunch. It's a crazy idea, right? I don't know if I'm going to do it. Anyway. But my hair stands thinking about it. Like, it's everything I love in one thing. So you can manufacture if you're really con conscious about your value galaxy. So that is one layer. But it doesn't allow you to say, okay, what, what am I doing with this? You have to add the time dimension. Your time is limited. So what do you do? What I've created is four domains of values that really are competing for specific types of time in your life. And because of time, again, that, that's the time constraint. I've organized it to career values, relationship values, and with, within relationship, four types of relationships, romantic, family, friends, and let's say professional. Okay, 
health and rejuvenation and all the fun and uh, rejuvenation and, and health uh, activities that you do. And I've separated out wealth creation. This is after a long time thinking and experimenting with people of understanding that you can separate out career from wealth creation. It doesn't have to be the same thing. I make more money today, not from my job than from my job, because I've taken care of that. And I bought myself the time to go out and pursue values in all other three domains, regardless of the money. Now, it's great if you can make a lot of money doing the things you love, but it's not necessary. There are other ways to make money. And one of the things I get into is like, make your money work much better and make other people work for you with your own saved money rather than have it sit somewhere. We have people here who know how to invest much better than I do. They'll tell you how to make money without working uh, for it. So wealth creation is another thing. So organizing this with this uh, plot, was, tell me what are, the, uh, what are the values in each domain? And I know it's, it's usually very, very hard to do, but I ask the participant to prioritize. What is the most Im more important thing in your career? What is the most important relationship you have? What is the most important thing in your health and rejuvenation? And what is the thing that generates the most money for you or has the potential? And this is where we're starting to understand, okay, I have a lot of values in my life, but what am I going to do about it? And that brings us to commitment. The third, next question I ask is, what do I want now? What am I going to do actively? Because as I speak right now, I have a lot of values in my life. I have my, my, my kids and I have my family. I got my car in my garage. I got my houses. I got all of the things. Those are values. I'm not doing anything actively to maintain them. They're there. The question is, what is going to require my focus, my time, my energy to get more of? So this is where we're getting to the idea of what is your spotlight value right now in your life? What are you trying to achieve? And usually I ask the question is, what domain should it be? And that people can answer pretty quickly. It's like, yeah, I want to change something in my career, or I want to change something in my romantic relationship, or I want to lose weight, right? So we choose a spotlight value because by you saying, this is my spotlight value, it needs to be in the center of your attention for a prolonged period of time. I don't know. It might take two weeks. It might take two years. But uh, the idea is that happiness is built. Happiness for me is a verb. It's not a noun. I do happiness. I don't. I'm happy. Happiness comes from this. I'm here. I'm speaking to you. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. This is my happiness. So you have to understand that happiness comes from the doing of it. And imagining it is hard. Committing to it is hard. Achieving it is hard, but all are necessary. Without that, you will not experience happiness. So there are a lot of other exercises you can do by what is my spotlight value? What will life look like when I get it? All of those things are part of planning your pursuit. Some people are like, yeah, I'm going to be an engineer and just, what are you going to do? Uh, or I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to quit my job and start a new business. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. So I have questions like, Tell me that you really want it. Why do you want it now? Do you have the resources you, you have in order to achieve it? What do you need to do in order to have the resources and the skills you need? What are going to be the obstacles, both the external that are going to hit you? Because if you think really hard, you can actually project or really uh, know what's going to come. But also, I know I'm going to get anxious. I know myself. When the money, the, the, the Things are going to be rough. I'm going to get hit with the first obstacle. I'm going to tell myself, why am I doing this? I do that all the time. I take one step forward and then a step back. So write it down. 
I'm going to feel terrible about myself. I'm going to second guess myself. Do the planning. Write yourself a note to open in the you know, time of emergency. Things like that really help. And I get all the way to like milestone. Tell me what what's going to come first. What is step one? What is step two? What is step three? People get overwhelmed by, I'm going to start my own business. And then I go, Whoosh. it's too complicated. OK, OK. What is, it, what is the first thing you need to do in order to start your own business? What is the second thing you need to do? What is the third thing? And with every milestone, what are you going to do? How are you going to, uh, what resources do you need? What obstacle are you expecting? What are the solutions for your obstacles? And how much time is it going to take you? What kind of help would you need and from whom? Doing all of that really helps you in the pursuit, getting ready. And the last stage, which is the fourth one, is going. I mean, go, go, go. I want to talk about my achievement principles, because it's one thing, and you saw three out of the four stages is planning, thinking, introspecting, getting ready, being in the planning room, strategy room, now we're going to go. So I want to separate between thought, planning, and action. And that's something I see people, uh, well, something people do not understand. They think it's always a process of like, I'm going to think about what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do it, and then I'm going to think about what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to do it. No. If you want to achieve big things in your life, separate your mind or your, your, your uh, your mindsets. You spend a lot of time thinking about it, planning it, putting everything together. Now you're going. Now you're fighting in the battlefield. It's not time to strategize. Or am I doing the right thing? Is it the right thing to want to open a university for objectivism? No, I figured it out. Now I'm going to effing do it. Because I have to be so focused in the... Um, details and the messiness of trying to get all of the things done, hiring people, putting in the right place, compensating them, uh, managing them towards the, the, the career, um, and then the, the, the details of meeting everyone and are we going to do it and the resource. There's tons, there are thousands of things to solve when you're fighting. It's not time to strategize. You're going, you're pushing forward. And what you need in order to succeed is a, a clarity. I want to see, I want you, if you are uh, in the happiness team describing your spotlight value, I want to see it. I want you to get to the level of details where you can describe to me, this is where I am, that's what I'm doing, this is what's happening, those are the people around me, this is how much money I need, and so on. All of that, if you're not concretizing it, I cannot see it, it won't happen. So that's the level of clarity I demand from my own values. Oh, that's going to be. The second one is commitment and persistence. If you want to achieve big things, you have to commit to it. And the doing is, should be fun. It's not getting to the top of the hill that's going to give you happiness. It's enjoying the hill you're on and the pushing towards it. And a lot of it is focused. So I want to play a short clip of just what it means to be focused. Can you name sort of three sort of life lessons you took away from working with him. This is Johnny Ive who worked with Steve Jobs. Really simplistic, but it still shocks me how few people actually practice this. Um, and it's a struggle to practice. But is, is this issue of focus? Um, Steve was the most re remarkably focused person I've ever met in my life. And, um, and 
the thing with focus is it's not sort of like this thing you aspire to or you, de you decide on Monday, you know what, I'm going to be focused. <laughs> <laughs> it is a every minute a, why are we talking about this? This is what we're working on. You can achieve so much when you truly focus. And one of the things that Steve would say, um, because I think he was concerned that I wasn't, <laughs> um, he would say, um, how many things have you said no to? And I would, honestly, I, I would have these sacrificial things, because I, I mean, I wanted to be very honest about it, and so I say, well, I said no to this, and no to that. And, um, he, but he, he knew <laughs> that I wasn't vaguely interested in doing those things anyway. Um, so there was no real sacrifice. What, what focus means is saying no to something that you, with every bone in your body, you think is a phenomenal idea, and you wake up thinking about it, but you say no to it because you're focusing on something else. And then the third one. So there's an, an, another point that he makes about how ruthless you have to be with keeping focus. But that's what it is. That's what I said I'm going to do. I realize that's the most important thing in my life. Other things don't matter right now. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get confused. But I want this as well. So I'm going to just work on it a little bit, just make some progress. And the price you pay is that you're not advancing the most important value that you've declared is the most important thing for you, and you're sacrificing it for something less important. So focus is important. Another thing is bias for action. It just do it. Nike slogan. I've learned that in the Silicon Valley because when the Silicon Valley there's no there's no, no you don't have permission to spend an hour being not productive because the race is on. I mean the money is running out on a daily basis. You got I don't know somebody invested five million you're burning five hundred thousand dollars a month and in ten months that's it the company explodes okay and if you're gonna rest for a second it will explode because there's so many things to you have to build a product, you have to build the marketing for it, to find the customers, hire the, the, the teams for it. And what happened, what I've learned from that experience is that you go into the meeting room, you think, you get to, like, I, th I think we got it. And then you go and, and you run. You can get stuck in that room for days and months trying to figure out exactly what to do and what will be the program. And uh, Unless everybody knows exactly what they're doing, we're not, no. Knowing comes from thinking and doing and then thinking and then doing and then thinking and doing. It's like a spiral that goes, because the questions you're asking yourself in the meeting room are irrelevant in a week. Because reality going, is going to show you that you're not asking the right questions. What you thought is important is not. You're going to hit other uh, roadblocks that you didn't know existed. So this is the bias for action. Don't lose momentum. Don't lose momentum. Don't start and stop. And that, that's something I can talk about for an hour, how to keep going even when times are rough. Get support. Get other people to talk to, people that, you, that have done it already, that succeeded in this. Build a, find a mentor. Find someone who will pick you up when, it's, when you're down. And uh, that's one of the ideas of the, uh, the, support, of the happiness team, that it's uh, an accountability team. People that you told them, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to do this week, and then in the next week they're going to ask you, did you do it? I said, I didn't do it. They're going to kick your butt. Um, and celebrating progress and achievement. That's what people forget to do. It's like, 
look backwards. Don't look forward. Yeah, the, the hill is, is high and it's going to be super hard. Look at where you are, where you've been a year ago. You know, the, the, the wealth you've accumulated, the knowledge, the expertise you've accumulated. Celebrate that. Celebrate the, the achievement, the process, the, the, just being better at it. And write it down. I have a tool called the, my winning list. It's the one, most wonderful, wonderful thing in the world. When I want to feel better about myself, I go back to my, my winning list and just randomly look at something that I've done. I forget about my achievements. The date, writing the good things, the success, the win, the progress, and how do I feel about it? It's so amazing to celebrate that. So those are my concepts uh, that I think will lead you towards happiness. There's much more to say, but ask yourself one thing. How is it going? And if it's not going well, start applying one of those principles to start a virtuous cycle of figuring out who you are, what you love about life, and applying all the high-level principles I've talked to. I want to go back to one more quote, which goes, goes back to the importance of, of working your own mind, introspecting. It's from Victor Hugo. Sometimes he dug in his garden. Again, he read or wrote. He had but one word for both these kinds of toil. He called them gardening. The mind is a garden, said he. So go work your mind and go achieve your happiness. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.